0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: When he, when he was born, he, he was a beautiful, healthy, bouncing baby boy. He was,
2: he was a gentle soul. He, he truly was.
3: He was a, a friendly face. A cheerleader. Phenomenal, humbled, intelligent, loving. You
4: know, you wouldn't notice him necessarily, but he would be
5: there and he would contribute in his quiet way. He was a very bright, caring individual who worked his way up through the ranks to become a cafeteria supervisor.
2: He greeted everybody with a smile. He was so happy at his job all the time. He was so willing to do whatever was needed.
6: You are listening to a special episode of Inside School Food. We are the podcast for school nutrition professionals and other people who work in child wellness. I'm Laura Stanley. On July 6, 2016, our community suffered the loss of one of our own. His name was Philando Castile. Hill was a 32-year-old cafeteria manager at the J.J. Hill Montessori School in St. Paul. He was killed by police in a routine traffic stop in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. His death was witnessed around the world online in a cell phone video that was captured by his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds. I met Philando in 2009. It was just in passing. It was on a tour of the St. Paul School's food service. Um, I met so many people on that trip, and yet I I remembered Phil so clearly, and why I could never say until now. The children called him Mr. Phil. To many parents, he was Mr. Rogers with dreadlocks. He was a quiet man, um, and over the years on the job, he became quietly important and very much loved. So as the school year gets to a start, the grief among his friends and co-workers in the St. Paul schools runs deep. Today we are going to hear from 11 of them and his mom, Valerie Castile, in mourning and in celebration of a life well lived and a job well done.
2: There is a joke that says that St. Paul is really small Paul. The idea that, you know, a lot of folks in the community grew up together. They know one another. Folks will often leave St. Paul and come back to raise their families. We're the largest employer in the city of St. Paul. And so many folks know each other from childhood. Um, they're connected in a lot of different ways. And then within each of the kitchens, the supervisors really do everything they can to create a culture and environment of community where folks work together and work as team members because they are, they're in such close quarters putting out meals every day for kids. Um, you really get to know people and you begin to connect as almost a family.
4: We just like to think St. Paul has some more of the arts and a lot of culture and diversity here.
6: We're good people. (laughs) We're good people. St. Paul is the quieter of the Twin Cities. Phil was born and raised in a tight-knit African-American neighborhood, and he lived there his whole life.
1: He was a good kid all around. He went on to high school. He started working when he was 13 because he liked... uh, Those sneakers, those expensive sneakers. So I said, yeah, well, you can have those, but you have to meet me halfway. I'm not going to buy them myself. If you want those type of things, then you're going to have to get a job and get them yourself. And that's what he did.
6: The St. Paul schools have been a beacon for school food in the Midwest for a long time. They cook and they bake from scratch. And they've been pioneers in farm to school, buying fresh food from local farmers They've also been pioneers in developing menus that reflect the diversity of their student body, which includes white kids and African-American kids, kids from Southeast Asia, from East and Central Africa, kids from Mexico, and Central America. Nutrition Services has worked hard to recruit staff that reflect that same diversity.
1: When I was going to school back in the day, you didn't see no 30-year-old nobody black in that kitchen. You know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and that's the honest guy. True, it just wasn't. It just didn't happen. And when he got to that point, he felt like he had, you know, made a great accomplishment. Because even in the schools now, you can't go in there and see no young black African American man supervising the kitchen.
7: A lot of times, if you walk through our schools, um, there is a. a um, there isn't a a big presence of African-American men being represented in in the school that can um, relate to the African-American children. The children kind of uh, when they see Phil he's one of us, you know, like he made it. You know, even though you see the the cafeteria supervisor, he's somebody who could relate to the African-American children in the district. Also, a lot of times um, when the kids are acting out in the schools, even me, myself, I can kind of relate a little different than a teacher just yelling, Bobby, please stop, please stop. I can kind of look at the kid because I'm from the same neighborhood, and I can say, look, man, you represent your mother and your father, cut it out.
6: Phil was a graduate of the school district where he worked. He started there straight out of high school in 2002. The day we met, he was supervising taco day in an elementary school lunchroom. It was a lively scene. It was high harvest season, so the kids piled in and filed through a choice bar packed with Minnesota-grown veggies. The leftovers went into a slop pail for a local pig farm. Bill was really a natural in the setting. I remember how proud he was showing us around his small prep kitchen.
2: He was brand new. Yeah. He was like 19 years old, uh-huh. uh, a young black male. It was a, a tough situation for him because he, this was a high school, and he wasn't much older than the, the kids that we were serving. Uh, nutrition service employees are normally called lunch ladies,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's a, a tough title for a young man to handle. <laughs> yeah. But he did it. He did it with a smile. He did it. Uh, he, he was so happy at his job all the time. He was so willing to do whatever was needed.
4: He made lunch ladies look cool. He was just so good for this business, and and he acted the part. And he just in every way was a good role model and he made it look like you don't have to look like your typical lunch lady to be a good cool lunch lady. You know, he could, um, it, you know, his. It, it wasn't a, like the one quote somebody said, it wasn't a hairstyle, it was a, it's not a lifestyle, it's, or ha- oh, how's it going? It's not a lifestyle, it's a hairstyle. Meaning that you could just look, there are many things come in great packages and he was one of them. He, he kind of Um, blaze the path
5: for others. At St. Paul Public Schools, our supervisors have a very big job. Uh, Our supervisors are responsible for everything from customer service to managing food allergies to um, ordering and receiving and, of course, cooking and preparing food. Um, One of the primary duties, too, is keeping our food service environment um, safe and clean. So really... The full operation of a Child nutrition program is under the direction of a supervisor at the school level, so we are oftentimes relying on our supervisors to manage the day-to-day breakfast, lunch, snacks, and oftentimes supper programs in our schools, at the same time engaging with students um, to help build that positive climate that they need. Um, and support their academic success. That's really what our supervisors do. It's, it's not one thing. It's not monotonous. Um, it's a very dynamic role, and it's one that requires somebody who has a lot of compassion, um, competency, and then also commitment.
8: Things would be flying. Kids would be coming. Food's coming out of the oven. We're getting it on the, on the serving line. But Phil was always, no problem. I got this. You know, he did um, d- It happens very often that we're short-staffed or um, maybe a delivery is late. Maybe, um, you know, any number of things happen, and I I don't think I ever saw him. Um, He was unflappable. He was just, he he could take care of it. He was calm.
3: He always pushed me to try to make me do better. Like, everything I, everything I would tell him that I wouldn't want to do, he would always push me to do it. Like, when I first started coming there, I was only doing little things at a time or whatever. But by the middle of the year, he had pushed on this whole other load of stuff on me. He said, Vanessa, you can do it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not hard. I know you're a hardworking person, and you will be able to take on it. So you can do it. So by the end of the year, basically, just from him just pushing me and just telling me, Vanessa, come on, I need." can do it. I was basically, you know, I was serving 300-something um, kids at lunchtime in a, in a matter of an hour and a half by myself, no help. I was washing dishes. I was, you know, I was multitasking. I was just doing a lot of things that I never thought that, you know, I'll be able to do. But he pushed me so hard to, to be the better, to be better at everything that I did.
2: Uh, he absolutely grew on the job. When he came in, he really knew nothing. Um, it's it's an a on-the-job training for the most part. Um, he was, he was uh, willing to listen to what people told him. He was quick to try new and innovative ways to serve the kids and to keep them happy. He got along very well with all the other staff. He was willing to try anything they suggested. Um, he wanted to make sure he was was doing things correctly. Uh, there were times he bucked me a little bit, but that was good. It showed his leadership qualities. It was obvious from the very beginning that he wanted to go places. He wasn't satisfied with just being staff. He wanted to move on and become a supervisor, which he did.
6: If you don't work in school food, you might not know that managing a school lunchroom calls for a very level head and an incredibly diverse skill set, ordering, inventory, portion sizing per the USDA's nutrition regulations, cooking, food safety, crowd control, making it all look and smell good, being that grown-up that everyone in the room looks up to and listens to, just like a teacher.
2: He seemed to be a natural with, um, you know, getting along and actually motivating students. He really would, oh, you look sharp today. Oh, my goodness, you know, look at that. He would really notice new things about the kids. He always knew everybody by name. He'd he'd call them by name, and he'd make it a personal one-on-one, which was something not everybody was able to do.
8: Um, He was a good cook. It smelled good in his kitchen. Um, He
3: cared about the appearance of the food and the quality. He took his job to heart. He he took it very seriously. And there was, like, nothing in the world that he wouldn't do or try to make better for the kids at our school.
4: I... Up at 4:30 in the morning, and I was getting ready, and my husband was downstairs with the the TV on, and I I saw this news. And you know, you wake up every morning, and there's a shooting somewhere. But when they said his name, I just I probably stumbled downstairs, and I asked my husband, "They really did say his name?"
8: I had a voicemail, and I picked it up, and um, it was Phil's mother. Who I had never met or anything, but she apparently had my name as his supervisor, and she called and, in such a calm voice, said that and introduced herself and said that uh, she wanted to let me know that her son Phil had been killed um, by police and he's no longer with us, and and that was it.
4: I think many of the kids saw from either the television or the Facebook. And I know that some of the parents said that they let their kids watch it and just because they needed to know. And, and it was a huge news story. It was all over the news.
6: Everyone I talked to told me that Phil was shy with adults, but totally extroverted with students. Children who ate breakfast in the cafeteria would see him first, before their teachers. So, part of his job was to greet them and set the tone for their day. From the sound of it, this was the part of the job he loved the most, and, and this is where he really made his reputation with students and families.
7: When you watched him around the kids, he knew their names. Um, he's you know, high-fiving them and fist bumping and, and um, you know, knew what they liked, uh, you know, oh, make sure you take this, or, oh, you know, sometimes kids would take, um, you know, they're allowed one entree and sometimes they would try to sneak a second one and he'd kind of give them a look like, you know the rules. He actually knew each one of their dietary, um, their aller- food allergies is what they are, food allergies. So- like, you'd have a kid that'd pick up milk that's not supposed to, that it's, like, lactose intolerant. Like, you're not supposed to have that, man. You're supposed to have that silk milk over there, man. You're not supposed to have this over here because it's got whole wheat in it. You're not supposed to have that because it's got nuts
8: in it. I see you have a new haircut. Uh, did you finally lose that tooth? Um, how'd the game go last night? Or, you know, um, any anything that was personal to that kid. And he was very... Um, I think I said authentic, and children pick up on that, and they really gravitated towards him, and he was, he was their guy, Mr. Phil.
1: He did. He wanted to know every one of them's names. Um, if they didn't have money on their, their books, if that's what you want to say, um, if they didn't have money to eat, Phil would feed them. He'll, he'll go in his wallet and put it on their account.
6: Some 70% of St. Paul students receive school meals free or at a reduced price. But in St. Paul, not every family eligible for this benefit signs up for it. And this is the case in districts all across the country, and there are many reasons it happens. Simple pride is a big one. Districts struggle to feed hungry kids whose food isn't paid for. Sometimes the problem is discreetly dealt with by caring people who work on the front lines of child hunger. Phil Castile was one of them.
8: Another thing that he did, and and he wasn't alone in this. Our supervisors do this sometimes. But for students who run out of money in their account and they get too far below zero, there's a cheese sandwich and milk. And this is some time ago that we would they would give that to them for, for free. Um, and there's kind of a stigma with that. And Phil, Phil was known to put money in the child's account so he could save them from the cheese sandwich.
6: To outsiders, school lunchrooms seem loud and chaotic. In fact, it's controlled chaos. The ideal is a happy and an egalitarian environment that sustains learning in the classroom. And ideally, the cafeteria serves as a classroom itself, where the children learn about self-worth, civility, and nutrition.
9: Generally, when people talk about schools, they focus on teachers who do an incredibly hard and important job. But equally important are the people who work in other roles that we don't necessarily focus on. You know, the school nurse, the clerical administrative staff, and, of course, nutrition services. Um, Kids, if they're hungry, they can't concentrate. And Mr. Phil made sure that those kids were not hungry. They were able to learn better because of the fact of the work that he did. And I think the young people saw in him not just somebody who made sure that they had meals, but also somebody they could talk to, as you said, was uninhibited around kids and would encourage them. He was a friendly face, a cheerleader. And all of that impacts their social and emotional development. Um, That alone, I think, would make an impact. But uh, Mr. Phil touched the lives of these students and their families in a way, I think, that was unique.
1: And he just wanted to be a a mentor for the kids. And he felt like if he he got to work every day, he could feed the kids because he believed that, if you see the children a good meal in the day, they'll learn better all day.
4: His true aspirations were our, our coordinator, which is a position that has kind of like a regional manager to a section of like 20 schools. And that would, I think if we would have had him for that role, it would have been so wonderful because he could train and Keep calm and you know, when it would get so busy and people would get confused and flustered, he just would know what to say. And you can tell, too, in how he trained his staff, his his is Vanessa. You know, she just, just they worked so well, I can tell
6: John Thompson saw Phil on July fourth, two days before the shooting. He was surprised to hear that Phil was working the summer, so he asked him, why did you give your summer up? And Phil said, well, I love the kids.
7: And then he said, as I'm walking away, JT, man, I love everybody. Right? I'll tell you this. Um, two days later, Phil got killed. And since that day, those last words have stuck with me since that day. It was meant... I think God meant for me to hear Phil say, JT I love everybody. Because now, I mean, I've met you know, so many relatives, so many friends, so many people, so many people that me and Phil were friends with that didn't even know we knew each other. <laughs> and we get the same thing like he honestly when he said that, he meant that. And I'll take that with me for the rest of my life. Those was the last words I heard my friends say, that he loved everybody.
6: School has been back in session for two weeks. Phil's absence for most of the kids, it's fresh. They've known all summer he would be gone, but now they're really experiencing it. Phil's assistant, Vanessa, thought about leaving, But she's decided to stick it out for the students, for Phil. She says it will be hard. But if everyone sticks together, she says they're going to be okay.
3: It's going to be a very interesting year, and yeah, it's going to be a lot different for me because just from, like I said, just from the open house um, here this week, the kids had a lot of questions about like what's going on, what's going to happen, if we're going to have the same lunch menu, or is the new lunch lady going to be as nice as um, Phil? There are a number of children
5: who are feeling lost and hurt right now, and they're also seeing that here's someone who did everything right, someone who worked hard someone who was um, a committed citizen, and this was, unfortunately, his fate. And I think a lot of um, sadness and um, despair is resonating with our community right now because for someone so wonderful to have been taken from us in this tragic manner, um, it's hard to say that you can't just essentially do everything right and, and have the best outcome.
7: As long as I have breath, um, because Phyllis have a voice, I'm going to be that voice. I'm going to be his voice. I'm going to try to get something to change about the way that we're being policed in our communities by the cops. I'm I'm, I'm trying to to caucus with a lot of people in power to help me to further that cause, you know? It's just, we're just talking now, but it's a start that we never had.
6: school food is a production of the listener supported heritage radio network many thanks to the friends family and colleagues who shared their thoughts and memories with us cole wellhaven fatima lawson john thompson jonathan palmer mary smith michelle bierman mary lowry rosemary moe sheila stowers stacy Copen, vanessa smith and valerie castile and thanks also to our team behind the scenes, David Tadishore, Aaron Fairbanks, Yvette CabanResto, resto Pierre Bien-Aimé, Sarah Nix, and Patty Wells.